the success we've had is because of a lot of that, just being honest with what we do. And we're not chasing the money. The money is a byproduct of what we do. You know, we take care of a customer and we get paid to do it. We literally work on our customer experience all the time. Where can we be better? Because a lot of glass companies can install shower doors. Yeah, some are good, some are not. But there's a lot of good companies that can install great shower doors. But what is their experience like with the customer? And that's what we are changing in the industry and what we're doing. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm here with uh, Brandon DeCastro from Grand Canyon Glass. Unbelievable company. So impressed with what these folks are doing and their vision for the future. We're in Scottsdale, Arizona, and this is the next episode of Friends of Build Magazine. Uh, Brandon, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, I'm excited. When I was talking to you probably a month or a month and a half ago, just about your vision of the com- company, and then you know Brad Levitt from AFT, who's a really, he's a, he's a good buddy, but he's a great client of ours, and he's a a true visionary when it comes to the building and construction industry and getting out on social media and really building a brand and then talking to you and you're all about the brand. Yeah, the brand is huge. Um, we've been focusing on our brand really hard for the last four years. Um, but I've been really big in the branding ever since we, ever since we launched in 2013. So this is something that I don't hear enough of when I'm talking to, to people in the building trade. They really don't focus on their brand, and yet at the end of the day, that's all we have to sell. And everything that you do with all the decisions that you make in your business have to be with the brand in mind because brands go through recessions, good times and bad times. Brands can be transferred from one person to the next because it's that culture, it's that brand. Where'd you learn that this is the focus you're more than a glass shop. It's like McDonald's isn't a, it's not a hamburger place. It's a brand. Exactly. Apple is a brand. Yeah, we, um, it just came to me naturally. Like when I look at the big picture and I just, I think what needs to happen. Um, and I kind of work everything backwards. Like wh- how, where do we need to be? Um, what are our goals and how do I, how do I get there? And I break it down backwards and little steps. And the brand has always been the front runner. I mean, you look at, you look at billboards and you're driving around um, outside of like a law firm with a catchy phone number. Yep. They don't put phone numbers or anything on a, on a billboard. It's literally just a logo and a brand. You're just trying to catch that customer's attention. Yep. So we've even gone to like our wraps on our vehicles where we don't have phone numbers or websites on it because you're not going to be able to 
remember a phone number or try to type a phone number in while you're driving. People try to take a uh, picture while they're driving of it, but you remember the brand, right? You drive by GCS, oh, GCS Glass. So what they're going to do is they're just going to go Google that number and we're going to yep. pop up because yep. our brand and our, our presence online is so big. And that's what we've done. I mean, we've gone all the way to branding Nikes, custom Nike orange and black shoes with GCS Glass on them that I gave all my employees a couple years in a row, um, all that stuff. So... Um, Okay, I need to take you on the road. You could educate so many people because what you just said, A, it's simple, but people want to overanalyze everything. Well, what did I get out of this? Well, what's the value of your brand? And if you've got your brand in the right places, then people are going to, you got to hit people over the head so often. It used to be years ago before the internet that it would, the old adage was you had to see something seven times before it made an impression, right? Yep. Now, thanks to our phones, it's 28 times. We have to be bombarded now mm-hmm. because the space is so busy. Yeah, and it's just, I think you have, I don't even know what the engagement time is, but you have literally like three seconds or something like that to catch someone's attention online now. Um, it's just so quick. And, you know, our new wraps that we've designed that are coming out, are, we always get compliments on our vehicle wraps, how they look so good. People hit us up all the time. We see you guys all over the road where our new wraps are even different from the old ones, but it's literally just our logo. Um, you see these vans of people, they're advertising every little thing they do. And yep. they, you can't read that while you're driving down a freeway. Right. Like it's just, and you see people, they advertise that find us on Yelp, find us on Angie's list. But like, why would you want someone to go there to find you. Wouldn't you want them to find your brand on your website online? Because you're telling people to go to Angie's List or Home Advisor or Yelp, and then you have to pay those companies to get that lead when they're the ones who saw you and they're looking for you, so they look on these these, uh, other companies to find you. So that's how we look at it. We wanna send as much traffic as we can to our website um, or to our landing pages or wherever we're advertising, um, and we track everything. We have a software that's proprietary to us that literally tracks every phone number we have on and tags a customer where they came from. And uh, it, we have a lot of automation built in with that. And it just, it, it helps our brand by knowing where we need to be. Okay. So how do you, how do you track when you're building a brand and your brand is in a variety of different places? How do you track that? Um, we, we track a lot of things with just through our avenues of advertisement. It's really hard to track like what we're getting just off the brand. Let's say we advertise, we have a commercial on 12 news. Well, that commercial just says, go to our website because we can put a phone number there, but it's just easier to go to our website. And I think we have a QR code they can scan. Okay. So if they scan the QR code, they're going to go to a landing page. When they fill out the form, it's going to come into our system and it's going to let us know it's 12 news uh, lead. Okay. Um, outside of that, we have a pixel that is put on our website that we got from 12 news. So essentially what happens is a lot of people call it different things where they think your phone's listening to you and spying on you and stuff. But what it is, is it's all these pixels where it's just trying to understand um, what you're interested in and try to sell you something. Right. So yep. we have a pixel on our website from 12 news that will say if, if the commercial is running and you're on your phone and your IP address is the same, and you go to our website, it's going to track you as a 12 news lead. So it's able to track you that way yep, to okay. know that otherwise, and you're not going to be able to track everything because 
you can have someone that um, sees a vehicle wrap, they Google GCS glass and our Google ad pops up Okay. and they click on the ad and then they fill out the form and it comes through and it's going to say a Google, you have a Google ad lead. Okay. But really the origination of that lead came from the vehicle wrap. Yeah. So you can't track it all. So that's, that's where you got to look at in marketing. You got to look at, you got to look past the money that you're spending on ads because you might think that you're not getting enough ads, but it's branding that you're putting out there. You might be getting, let's say you put in $4,000 a month, you might be getting $60,000 in revenue, whatever it is. Um, but you might be getting a hundred thousand dollars in revenue coming from other sources that you don't, you don't understand. You can't track that. Um, but what you're really doing through all this and advertising, how many people are you touching with your brand? Yeah. So really what you're doing is for our commercial that's running, it's not just about the revenue we're building off it. It's how many eyeballs are seeing GCS. Like you said, used to be seven times. Now it's 28 times, but how many times are they seeing that? So when, a, when they're, when someone watches it and they're at Thanksgiving dinner and, and they're talking to their, their brother and they're like, yeah, I'm remodeling my bathroom. I need a shower door. Um, Oh, you know what? I saw GCS glass. They have a really good, they have a really good commercial on 12 news. Why don't you call them? They, they seem like a really good company. Then they Google you and look you up and they see you're, you're not just, you don't just have a Facebook account or something like that. You have all these different avenues where they can go to and see, they can see your reviews and we hold a five-star review and on every platform that we have, uh, and then go on that. And that's building the brand right there to me is just, just getting the eyeballs to see your company and, and making sure you have something that is legible and readable as your logo. Um, so people it, straight to the point, simplify, simplify it. I call them trust accounts. Yeah. You know, those, those, all those little notches, they create trust accounts. So here's one, here's one, here's one. And it lets people feel comfortable. And then ultimately most of when we're dealing with our clients, cause they're all super high end, all their business comes from word of mouth. Right. You hear the word of mouth from the contractor, the architect or interior designer, you get the job and then the client sees, Oh, they're here. Now all of a sudden you're more attuned to it. Oh, they're here. Oh, that's a good referral. Okay. It's that trust account. Mm -hmm. And social media is huge for branding. Um, I would say the construction industry is probably 10 years behind everything in the world. And then the glass industry is probably 10 years behind the construction industry. Okay. I mean, you still got glass companies out there that are using three part carbon paper for their invoices. And oh, stop it. And stuff. Yeah. Are they really? We've, we've talked to a lot of them. Yeah. Um, all of our stuff is digital. We have iPads. Our guys have iPads in the field. They have our software on an iPad. They literally have all the information they need at their fingertips. And we have all the information at our desk at the office. So when they do something, when they complete a job, upload a picture, we have it instantly in the office so we can work with that and close out that job or do whatever we need to do. So it's just, it's instant and we're saving time. We're saving the customer time. Um, and we're able to scale that way. That's, that's awesome. So Brandon, let's talk a little bit more about the power of the brand because you're expanding your business quite heavily. Tell me about the markets. You and I were talking off here, but just share with the, uh, the listeners, because maybe there's also an opportunity with this podcast to expand even further or what your vision is. Yeah. So, um, 
Right now we have a location in Phoenix, Arizona, Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas, and Long Island, New York, and soon to be Santa Cruz, California. And we're hoping, um, we're hoping to launch in Utah. So pretty much um, our big five-year goal is 50 locations in the next five years. Awesome. How do you pick them? Um, and that's an ambitious goal. It, it is. And we think we can get there pretty easy once we have the foundation even a little better than it is now. We have a pretty good foundation and we're constantly building on it. But it's all about the people. Got to have the right people in place to be able to open these markets. Um, it's so hard right now to find good people and even to train those people, the time to train those people, because you're constantly moving so fast. Um, everything's constantly changing and we're constantly updating things. So finding the right person or the right company. Um, so like in New York, we opened up, we opened up that market, I would say a little over a year ago. In our first full year in business, we're almost a seven-figure company out there in New York. And that was from the ground up. Um, and nobody knows who you are. And no one knows who we are in New York. So that was tough. Um, what was really tough about it is when you live in a different market, let's say we're essentially, we're on the West Coast almost, right? So like from the West Coast to the East Coast, and you're talking to a oh, customer dude, on the East totally Coast. it's totally different. You, you're like... <laughs> it's a town over there. It's not a city, you know? And it's like, and then it makes it hard because people look at you as like, who are these guys? Yeah. Like, are they even the real deal? Or are they just some big, big company that, you know, is everywhere and all this, but we're, it's a family run glass company. Like we're, a, we're a small company that is doing big things is what we like to say. Um, every location, it's not a franchise. It's similar to a franchise, but we have equity in every location that we, do work in. So in New York, we had the opportunity to, after eight months in business, we had the opportunity to buy another glass company that was in business for 30 years out there. So we're able to absorb that company and help out with the growth and all that. And we're seeing, seeing crazy growth in the first year. So going back on choosing the markets, it's, we feel that you can put us in any market, granite that has the population and the medium, you know, income, we can, which needs to be what in the seventies. Okay. So, and I would say we can do seven figures at that location. We don't need to do a, we don't need to have a $10 million a year location. Um, although nice, it would be nice. But the way I look at it is I would rather have 10, $1 million locations than one $10 million location, because then you're dealing with middle management you're dealing with a lot of issues with the bigger company. So if you can manage these smaller companies, your profits are higher and you can run leaner, but then those companies can still continue to grow. A $10 million residential glass company is going to take up. It's going to be a lot of market share. Um, you're not really gonna, it's going to be hard to get there. You can get there. I mean, we're, we're not even close in Phoenix and that's our largest, that's our largest location, yep. but it's, it's easier to grow a company to, for me to, to a million dollars. And it is to grow a company from a million to 10 million. So you can grow these companies a lot faster. 
So, so do you, who's your target audience? Like who do you focus on as far as the perfect client for you? Is it high end residential? Is it middle of the road? I, w- I would say the perfect client really is middle of the road. Like it's just the, the, the blue collar worker, the, um, you know, just remodeling their bathroom. We're in and out. You know, we go in there, we measure a shower door, we install it, we're done with that job, we move on. Uh, we've built a big portfolio in Phoenix. Um, we do some of the biggest custom builders in the state and the baddest houses out here. And that's awesome. I know, but, your name's coming up more and more when <laughs> I'm talking to these builders. And, and it's awesome to do those, but when we're on a job, let's say we're doing a $100,000 glass job for yep. one of these houses, there's so much involved in that. There's so much back end stuff. There's so much back and forth. There's so many uh, times you have to keep going back and forth to the job that is unforeseen circumstances that come up in all these jobs. And especially, they're usually a lot more custom than a regular in and out shower door. So you would make you make more money with just the everyday, okay, the everyday shower door because you're in and out and you're cash flowing. These other jobs, they're big. You get held up on 30-day net, um, so you're not cash flowing as much. So you kind of need to have the regular cash flows too. So it's a good balance if you can have both. But um, the small remodel guys, that's a good target for us because those guys are doing, you know, they're in and out of bathrooms all the time. So yeah. if we can, if we can do, if we can do those guys, some of those guys give us more money than some of these big builders because a builder is on a house for, you know, a year. 18 months. Yeah, 18 months. Yeah. Um, 24 months now who i mean it's even longer sometimes right so and depending on how big that builder is and how many houses they can manage but some of our big builders only have a couple houses a year yep so when you're talking you know you're you're doing a couple houses a year that might be twenty thousand dollars a house but you're doing a a guy who's doing a lot of remodels and doing 15 20 remodels at a time um you're making more money with that guy who's doing a lot of remodels than you are a big builder but we love the big builders because we love the custom stuff that, you know, we don't like to say no to something um, that other people say no to. If we can see it and we can vision it and we f- know it's going to be safe or when we feel it's going to be safe, then we're going to try to come up with a plan and execute that and make that happen. And we've done it on, on a lot of jobs and we have a pretty good portfolio to show for it. So I don't know if this helps, but there's a there's a company called Alaire Homes. Have you ever heard of them? Heard of them, yeah. So they're out of they're actually out of just outside of Vancouver, BC, Canada, um, but their main office for the states is in Naples, Florida. Okay. And I got to know these guys, and they're a high end custom home builder franchise, which I've never heard of before. And so when I'm talking to them, I'm, I'm not really understanding their whole mentality. And I'm just thinking about you. They're in 117 different locations around the country. And they'd be an interesting person to talk to and pick their brain as to, okay, how did they grow? Not that you're a franchise, but still to team up with somebody like that in all those locations that you want to be in ultimately anyway. Yeah. I just thought it was... No, I think I've seen them. I, I, I want to say they used to have a location in Arizona. Um, Maybe like I don't know. Five years ago. Okay. Um, and then I don't know. It was two partners, I think, out here. But I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to them. But 
yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah, I'll give you the um, the marketing director's name, and I know a bunch of them now, and I see them at the IBS show, and and I've been on. They've got a podcast, so I'm on their podcast or on mine. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll I'll uh, introduce the two of you. Okay, and okay. it's worth something, especially given the fact that you want to be so aggressive with your with your growth plans. Yeah, and the reason we the reason we um, stuck with not franchising because we thought about franchising in the yep. beginning, but um, we didn't want to have to babysit. We didn't want to have to babysit. Uh, you know, someone coming in that didn't really have any glass experience and just had the money to buy a franchise. And we're not, we're not those type of people that we're just chasing the dollar. We want to, we want to have someone that we can trust and that can keep our brand going. So we wanted to have equity in everything that we do. So, and just like some of these, um, we have a vision to open up faster with being able to kind of run like a franchise, but we would have equity, a, a small percentage of equity. Okay. Um, and they can be a startup and we have a business plan for them. We have a bank that they can, they can get a loan from for the startup or, and then we take a percentage either off a little bit off the top and a little bit off the bottom line. However, we decide, um, we haven't narrowed it down how we're going to run that yet. Okay. But, or if you're an existing company, um, that would be your buy-in. So you're, you wouldn't have to go get a loan, do that for the startup or anything. You would already have an existing company and then that would be your buy-in. And then we would, we would handle, we would have the software, we would have the processes, all the procedures and everything, how to run your business, um, efficient and be able to scale that business for that same small percentage. Brandon, how hard is it to educate somebody on the value of the process? Because process is everything to creating a successful business. It's, it's tough. I had a conversation with my general manager a year ago, and I said, look, you're in a position that where you got to implement the process. I'll come up with the process because I can look at the business as a whole now from the outside, okay. overlooking it and see what direction we need to go and need to turn left, need to turn left, turn right, whatever. And I can see what needs to be done. And I'm going to come up with um, better ways to do things, but I need you to implement it. So if you're not implementing it and staying on top of the employees, when we're, you know, initiating this stuff, all I'm doing is I'm working in circles and I'm not getting anything done and we're just keep going backwards. So we're not going forward. And three months ago, he came to me and said, man, if I ever give you a hard time about implementing a process again, tell me to go back and look at what we did and how we did this. And he's like, because I see the big picture now. I see what's going on and I see why you, why you do this and why you, why you need to make a change here or do this. Because we're constantly changing. We're, we're literally evolving every single day. And there's a lot of growing pains from it because you're implementing something and then you're turning around and changing it three months later because you updated something in our system that makes it easier for everyone else. Then you got to try to teach them those new habits. And when you're teaching people in the construction industry, new habits, it's really hard. You have older people that don't want to evolve. Um, they don't want to use technology. So trying to simplify it the best way you can, um, to get it across is, is challenging. But we've stuck with it, and it's it's helped us out. The so our software is amazing. We we wouldn't we wouldn't be where we're at without our software. 
Okay, I got another idea for you. <laughs> and I was at a, we hired a coaching company and they're called CEO Coaching International. And we hired them because much like you, we want to get to that next level. And the people that get you to 10 or 20 million often can't get you to 40 or 50 million. So depending on where your appetite and what you want to do. So we go to this conference and there's a guy there from, I want to say Santa Cruz, somewhere in that neighborhood. And his name, I believe, was Richard Peck. And he owned a Jiffy Lube franchise he bought 15 years ago and or 20 years ago. And now he owns 139 of them. Wow. And it's that that process and having a coach. And anyway, I, I, once again, I could share some more information. But listening to you, it's, it is all about the process. And I think it's fascinating. And so when you're sitting down with somebody who's got an existing glass company, like your guy in Santa Cruz who's coming on board, did it take you a long time for the penny to drop and him go, yours is a way better system. I can make more money owning just a small piece of it as opposed to owning it all with your system. No, I think I think what we've done with our branding, because that's a big part of it, right, is the branding. Yep. Is, um, and when you have an outsider looking into what we're doing and when we talk about our processes and all that, um, a lot of people realize that there's a, they can do more with help. Um, I go back to, I'm glad I started GCS by myself out of my wife's um, bedroom, out of her parents' house is how we started GCS really? class, literally with nothing. Um, and, but now I'm glad I have partners because I wouldn't want to do it any other way to have other people to lean on when I'm not motivated, they can push me. Um, hold on, Brandon, when are you ever not motivated? <laughs> I don't know you very well, but you're a very determined person. I, I am. Um, but motivation comes and goes, right? So I try to be disciplined. Um, and, but I need that push cause I get burnt out. Um, there's times there's times where I get frustrated and I had a conversation with my partner this morning about, um, he was talking to another employee in another location. I was like, look, like we're, we're, we're having issues over here in this location, but Brandon is not having issues in Phoenix. And he's literally yesterday, he went on a rampage with all the guys in the office because there were systems that weren't getting followed and things were getting messed up. He's running fine. But I attack things head on. When there's a problem, it's it's right now. We're going to solve it and and move on from it. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I don't want you to hold a grudge. I just want just want you to get better. This is what we're trying to do. One um, percent every day. If we can get better one percent every day, we can we can make some big changes and we can do a lot of damage. So how did you deal? You speak about um, you speak about being motivated and how you know as the owner you're not really afforded the opportunity to have a down day. How'd you get through COVID? It was interesting. The beginning of 2020, our predictions were, wow, we're, we're crushing this year, the first three months of the year. COVID hit. And right as COVID hit, um, we were coming out with a software that would allow us to uh, track our customers. All our leads went into our software. We'd build a pipeline. We have automation. We were able to build funnels. Um, and if people don't know what a funnel is, it's just like a landing page, like a website that for marketing that you can go to and track stuff. So we were able to build that and text customers through, through that app that we had. Okay. And what we came up with was 
five minute quotes. We can give you a five minute quote without ever inconveniencing you in your home. So all you have to do is take a picture of your shower and give us rough sizes and we can get you a quote for your shower door right off of that instantly. We don't have to come out to your house. You don't have to worry about COVID. If you wanna, if, so you're gonna get your price and you wanna, yep. and we scaled Colorado from $319,000 the year before to a million dollars during COVID. No way. Yeah. We grew a million dollars a year in Phoenix through COVID. And it was all because of marketing and branding and, and, and launching our software. We were as safe as we can be. Um, I told my employees, I'm not going to force you guys to work. If you guys don't want to work, that's you. I had an employee that took two weeks off in the beginning of it because he was having a baby and he was, he was a little worried about it. Sure. Um, Understandably. And I, I let him, I let him take it off and everyone wanted to work. No one really at our company, um, was too freaked out about it. And we were ahead of it. We you know we we bought the mass and did the thing, but we bought GCS mass, right? So we had our label. Of course, it's got to be loved. You know, and then it just as time went on, it was you know we just we just kept grinding and kept doing it, and then the shortages happened, right? You know, you have, but we've already prepared for that because we buy all our hardware in bulk. We've had it. We've been doing it like that for years. We had stock hardware, so when shortages started coming, we had hardware. Our lead times never changed through COVID than they are now. Unless it was like a special, special hardware that we couldn't get. But satin brass was really popular through through all this. It was hard to get champagne bronze, but we had stock it. So we had most of it. So, and then when we were getting low, we'd place an order. And then we'd just wait a couple months and it, then a big order would come in. So we'd buy. We'd you were buy smart more. about it. We bought more than we needed. So we just, we just pre-bought and prepared for it and um, never skipped the beat. I mean, we made... We made the Inc. 5000 list two years in a row during COVID period. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, what, what about the emotional um, roller coaster of COVID? I know in talking to a lot of people, business owners really didn't have the opportunity to get on that roller coaster, which I think is good, but a lot of their employees did. And it's like at the end of the day, you still have to write checks for payroll. Right. So, it's tough to kind of go down that road yeah i mean we were sentimental about it um we just knew we had to keep the company going because we have employees to look out for um we have their families to look out for and that's that's a big thing for us we we are family we are gcs is what we like to say and um we're going to take care of one another so some of our employees definitely probably went through a roller coaster with it i mean I personally had COVID a couple times, um, and I still work not at my house, right? Cooped up in my upstairs because my wife wouldn't let me downstairs. But I'm on Zoom calls and working and doing what I my part, whatever uh -huh. I can do to you know. Um, You're pivoting, right? And yeah. So funny thing was, is I I got COVID for my partner. We literally bought a van in Arizona, got it wrapped out here. He flew in. We went and golfed, and then. Sunday morning, we're driving the van back to Colorado. I haven't been there in like, I would say like eight months. There's a couple employees I haven't haven't met. And he wakes up Sunday morning. He's like, man, I, I feel like crap. I'm like, great, probably has COVID. And I'm going to drive with them. I'm like, ah, it is what it is. Let's go. So we go and wake up the next day and he's feeling like crap. I, I didn't feel good, but I don't know if it was from that. I just had like vertigo for some reason. And I've had it before. So that's why I kind of wrote it off. 
So he gets tested and he comes down to the basement. He goes, hey, you might want to get tested. I just tested positive for COVID. And I'm like, oh, man. So then I get locked up in his basement. Like, I don't even get to meet the guy. And then all our team, oh, you didn't? all of our crew had COVID in Colorado. So they all got it from the same job site. So they ended up having COVID. And that was like the whole, the the first time and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, we just, we just powered through it and kind of, I was against the shutdown of small businesses because yep. they make the world go around. I told our guys if they shut us down, you know, we're, we're going to pay you for the time we're shut down as long as we can. Um, but fortunately, they didn't shut us down here. They shut us down in Colorado a little bit. It was kind of weird. You couldn't do work for homeowners, but you can do work for contractors kind of thing. It was kind of weird out there. Okay. But we just kept it going, and we just kind of did our thing and kind of pivoted through it all. Have you got any funny stories of where life was just a – you couldn't get out of your own way, and then what'd you learn from it? I wouldn't say I don't really have too many funny stories of, or like, a job site, a job, you know, a job that went totally sideways, and you just you were able to figure out how to make it work, and and uh, at the end of the day, you learned something and probably made yourself a better company. We did a railing job not too long ago, and we were sued from the contractor slash homeowner. Oh boy, those are fun, aren't they? Yeah, we went into business with a guy who was. I won't mention names, but he was he was shady. Okay. He sued a lot of people. Has a judgment from the IRS for tax fraud and all that stuff against him. And but I was young in business. It was a cash job. It seemed awesome, right? Saw our vehicle driving down the road. That's how he got our number. Awesome railing job we did. Installed the railing. Had issues with it afterwards with it leaking. But with the railing leaking? Yeah, leaking through the penetrations that we yep. we did. But. It wasn't necessarily 100% our fault. Yes, we anchored it and realized there wasn't sufficient backing in some areas. And we told him about it and he wanted us to do it anyways. Figure a way to to do this. So we figured out a way to, in some of these areas that didn't have sufficient backing, because he, he swore that it had backing through the whole thing. We got a glue lamb, which it didn't. And we did it and it was solid. We would have never left the job if it wasn't solid and we didn't feel comfortable with it. And then a monsoon came, the railing loosened up a little bit, and it leaked into his downstairs. He ended up suing us for $1.6 million on a $25,000 job. What? Yeah. Claiming that the water damage has caused, um, he's selling the house, it's a $6 million house, and he's going to lose 20% of the value because he has to report that there was water damage from a railing, blah, 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 and all this stuff. This went on for two and a half years. They ended up settling with the insurance company for $125,000 because the same amount that the insurance company offered them two and a half years earlier. They made The insurance company just made a, a business decision not to go to, we we're ready to go to trial. We had our pre, pre-trial meeting with the judge. They made a decision not to go to trial because they, they had a good feeling that we would win. But with the money they already spent on all this with, you know, litigation, okay. uh, construction experts and all that stuff, they decided make a business decision. Let's just pay them to go away. So they paid them went away. But I learned a lot from that job. I didn't lose any sleep over it because that's not who I am. I, I, I get my sleep. If I need my sleep, I'm going to just keep moving forward. But he waterproofed the deck wrong. Um, he didn't use a self-sealing membrane. He didn't have sufficient backing on it. So that was kind of on us as a professional to, to know this. Yep. And since then, we've walked away from a lot of jobs that we didn't know what's underneath the job or we've had them rip, rip stuff up and put sufficient backing on there for railings because 
we're not going to get caught up in something like that again. Um, I felt like I was taken advantage of because I was younger and I felt like he knew what he was doing the whole time. So, and the funny thing is, is his business is right across the street right here and I see him all the time still. Is it really? It is. Is it awkward? Not really. Um, he's, he, he came over a couple times during the middle of the lawsuit and tried to threaten and do stuff and it got ugly, but it all worked out and it was a good, it was a good learning experience for me. Uh, it, it made me real. I wanted to quit doing railings. I was like, I'm done doing railings. Like, I don't want to do them anymore. I don't want to get involved in this. And then I realized I'm like, I'm not going to let something like this stop me from growing what I believe we can grow and do. And since then we've done some amazing railings that knock on wood, haven't had any issues. That was a job that went, that was good. And then it went South. It went South just because we weren't prepared for it. We didn't have our processes or procedures. We didn't have the documentation that we should have. And, and now we do. So we take pictures of all that stuff before and after penetrations, how we're sealing them, everything, save the emails, everything goes in a folder in our, in our software. You often wonder with people like that, why would you get, make your life so complicated? Because you know that, that a whole series of, that's just his life. Yeah. And his life is to take advantage of people or, or I, sue people. I don't sue anybody. I've never, I've never understood that. I don't understand how people can live their life always looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Because you're always having, you're, you're always going to have these issues now. And you're going to have lies to cover up lies because you don't even know what the truth is. Right. Like his story changed so many times. And my story was exactly the same from start to finish because I'm telling the truth. And um, the truth might have hurt me a little bit, but I'm still going to tell the truth and my story and how I did it. And I'll own up to it and fix my mistakes if I have to. I've told customers I'll rip a whole shower out if I have to and reinstall it on my dime if you're not happy with it, um, if that's how you feel. So... I don't know. I'm just an, I'm an honest person. It's hard to lie. And I feel, I mean, the success we've had is because of a lot of that, just being honest with what we do. And we're not chasing the money. The money is a byproduct of what we do. You know, we take care of a customer and we get paid to do it. How long did it take you to learn that? I would say probably about, I learned it probably about four years ago. So five years in the business, I realized it because I was always chasing money, always chasing the next job and all this stuff. Now it's all about the customer experience. Yeah. And that's what we, we literally work on our customer experience all the time. Where can we be better? Because a lot of glass companies can install shower doors. Yeah. Some are good, some are not, but there's a lot of good companies that can install great shower doors. But what is their experience like with the customer? And that's what we are changing in the industry and what we're doing. We're giving them a better customer experience. We want people to walk away and be like, man, you need to use GCS. Not just because of they do awesome work, but that whole experience was amazing with them. We want people to think, what else can we buy from them just because it was an awesome experience yeah. and they're good people. So look, that, at, look at Chick-fil-A. Totally wow. different you know, business. But you walk into Chick-fil-A compared to any other fast food place. And you just feel like a better person. No different than Whole Foods. You walk into Whole Foods, it's expensive, mm -hmm. but you just feel like it's a way better experience. Chick-fil-A does, their average store does $4 million a year, and the average of McDonald's does $2 million a year. Oh, is it really? And they're not even open on Sundays. Like, they're just, their model is just better, and it's their customer service. Yeah. It's just they in their processes. They make it so smooth. Um, and... 
it's funny because we always use the McDonald's thing, founder, the, the story of McDonald's. Yeah. Everything has a place, right? Like everything's the same. You should be able to go to GCS in Phoenix and then go to GCS in New York and jump in a vehicle or the office and it's going to be ran the exact same way. Um, and we're not there yet. We, we run a little bit different, um, but for the most part, we do everything the same. Um, and that's the biggest thing, I think, in scaling a national brand is trying to keep everyone doing the same thing because it kind of without you being there every single day and on top of somebody and micromanaging and training and all that it it naturally changes a little bit unless you find those right people that I was talking about earlier yeah you can have all the handbooks you can have everything but if you don't have the right person that wants to follow that and they're just going to do things their own way um it's going to stray a little bit and you just got to rope it back in so one one thing that I would say to you as you're, you know, 50, 50 markets, which I think is an awesome goal, totally achievable. One thing I've seen, and I'll go back to Chick-fil-A because I went to school in Georgia, is um, Chick-fil-A was a Southeast company. And then the, the founder, his son took it over, and that's when they blew it up and went all across the country. You'll find it's easier for your brand, for people to get brand recognition, if you take pockets so you populate california or the southeast or the southwest or whatever instead of like it's tough for people in new york who are you guys yeah we don't know and you're three thousand miles away and that's what and that's what we're doing now new york kind of new york kind of is a little different than everything but we're trying to stay in the areas we are so yeah. like we're in arizona we're going to be in california we're in colorado we're in texas going to be in utah We'll be in New Mexico, We're gonna, and then, but inside of all these locations, we'll have other locations in Arizona. We'll have other locations in California. I mean, California could probably have fifty different glass companies up and down the coast, right there. So <laughs> it's big, right? Probably so, good, right? So just alone, right there, you can have fifty locations. But um, that's that's kind of the goal. And it's funny because we're not necessarily looking to expand these markets. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking to kind of grow what we have and expand the markets that we have and these these are falling into our lap and it's really hard as a entrepreneur i would say i'm a serial entrepreneur all the opportunity that comes from all over the place is really hard to like turn it off and stay focused and i'm like oh i can go do this and make a little bit more money it's not about like trying to chase dollar anymore it's about how can i make my money grow that i already have right without having to physically make it grow i can just use my you know, my brain now. Yep. So when all these ideas come, you're like, Oh, I got this or, Oh, I got this over here. And it's, um, I heard a really good saying and it, and, and I kind of twisted it my own way, but it's like, if you're a football player and you're making millions of dollars playing football, why would you stop and try to go play baseball? Why not just focus at what you're good at making a lot of money and do that better? And that's kind of what it is. So like, why try to go buy a house to flip right now? Yeah. When I can take that money and I can open up another market and make 10 times the amount of money that I would be trying to flip a house. Yeah. So for now, focus. And it took me a while to kind of get reeled in. Yeah. I got a, I got a good coach that kind of keeps me on track and keeps me, good. you know, um, I'm not going to be able to make the type of money anywhere else investing that I would investing in GCS. So... I might as well just stay focused with what I'm doing. The other stuff will come eventually. 
I don't need it all right now, but eventually I'll need places to do things. But for now, it's just stay focused with GCS. I'm young. I'm only 38 years old. So it's just stay focused with GCS glass and keep moving forward. But the shiny object syndrome really <laughs> is a tough thing to battle. It is because I'm like, I can leverage this yeah. and I can buy a Lamborghini, but then I can just rent the Lamborghini out and pay the money that I'm leveraging and make extra money. And then I can sell the Lamborghini and do this. But if I just sold an extra 10 showers a month, I can do the same thing. I know. It, <laughs> you that's know? exactly right. Right. So, but it would be nice to have a Lamborghini on it, but it's just like, it's one of those things where it's the shiny object for sure. And my wife's always like, you talk to, Nick, Nick's my business financial advisor, my okay. kind of my coach. Okay. Talk to Nick about this. And I'm like, I'm a big boy. I can make big boy decisions. I don't <laughs> need to talk to someone else. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's funny. We have a running joke about it. And it's like, it's not asking him permission. It's just people see things with a different view, right? And they can bring you to reality on, hey, it might seem good, but it, it might not be that great. Yeah, the 30,000 foot level is something that you got to get used to being at. But oftentimes, you know, and we're all guilty of it because we see an idea or we see something that's not done very well and you go, wouldn't be very hard to fix that. You can't take on everything. Yeah. And I, and that's, <clears throat> and that's the position I'm in with GCS. I can, I'm up here yeah. and I get to see the whole picture and what's going on and try to fix things here and there, kind of build it, which is good because most owners don't ever get to build their company. They, they they're just a technician, it's right. a, you know? Um, a solopreneur, they, it's just, that's what they do. They literally work for themselves, but they're, they're working for the company. They don't, they don't realize how much time and effort they're putting in doing everything they're doing when they can make probably the same amount of money working for someone else. What drives you to get up at three thirty in the morning? Um, it's still dark out by the way. It is. It's getting cold <laughs> now too. <laughs> um, I just want to be better. I just want to be I'm, I feed off, um, doing right for other people. So when I see someone, um, that sees a little motivation from what I do, it drives me more to do more, to be able to motivate people to be better. So, um, and just a little bit of that craziness, I guess, you know, so that, and that was never me. I've never, I've never been a runner. I started running in January and decided I'm going to start running this year and I want to run. And, you know, I did a couple 10 K's this year, never ran that far in my life. And, you know, I run two and a half miles a day after the gym. Um, because I just, I know if I don't, it's hard to fit it in my schedule if I don't get it done early Yep. and I can get, I can get a gym workout in and a run in before most people are waking up and I'm already ready. I'm already at work. I'm already back to the house. Um, breakfast, protein, drink, whatever, and showered and dressed and ready at my computer and ready to work by the time GCS is starting. Okay. So you just started doing this? This year, yeah. Okay. What is the difference, Brandon, between you this year by doing, by being disciplined and working out compared to a year or two ago as far as your, you know, cobwebs in your head or, because uh, I think it's brilliant what it, you're doing. It's, it's night and day difference. I was sluggish. Um, I argued a lot with employees, especially management. I would get in battles and stuff and I would get stressed out from it. Um, I don't, outside of paying bills, 
I don't really get stressed out anymore at all on anything. And I, I've been pretty good about that through the whole thing. I've been able to shut off business, whether it's been a crappy job or whatever, I walk through the door and it's not about business anymore. It's about my family life. Okay. But this year it's, there's been a sense of clarity. That's just, it's like overwhelmingly noticeable, better relationships with everybody. Um, just, just everything. I feel better. I feel young. Um, you are young. <laughs> <laughs> I feel younger. Uh, I just, I feel like I can do more. Like I just got back from a hunting trip and I hiked 43 miles and it didn't even phase me. Like I could have did a hundred miles. Like it didn't bother me hiking that far, um, throughout the days. And then I got friends that I hunt with that are like dying the next day. They don't want to go back out. And I'm like, ready to go. Let's go. So it's just, um, just all that. I want to be able to do more. I want to be able to be involved with my kids when I'm older and not want to sit on the couch and be tired and sluggish. I do get tired. Um, and it could be because I'm waking up at three 30 in the morning, but I yep. do get tired in the afternoons and stuff. But I, but I, what I've noticed is you just got to retrain your brain. Like if I'm on my computer and I feel like I'm going to crash, like if I get up and start moving around and doing something, like I wake back up, um, and do it and kind of, so I got, I got a, I try to stick in my routine. Um, it's funny cause my, I have an older daughter that's in town right now. She's 12 and she's like, I want to go running with you. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'm running at 5.15 in the morning. She's like, well, I get up at 5.30. I'm like, I'm leaving at 5.15 cause I have a routine. And I'm like, you got to run the whole way with me. She's like, well, I can't run the whole way with you. I'm like, well, then you can't come with me <laughs> as much as I want you to come with me, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep running. I, cause I, I have to run. Like I don't want to walk. Right. And so if, if she's only in mile one and she starts walking, I can't keep running and leave her out in the dark at five right, right. 20 in the morning by herself. You don't know, I'm not too far from her. So I'm like, all right, this is what we do. I'll go run and do my stuff in the morning. And then in the afternoon we'll go, we'll go run. I'll go run again with you. So awesome. We'll, we'll just go do that. Or hike a mountain or something. Awesome. So, but it's just like, I have to do my routine. Like, yeah, you know, I was hunting and you got to wake up early to go hunting. And I was at my cabin. I have a home gym there. All my buddies are still sleeping and I'm awake. So I went and got a workout in before I went out to go hunting, like get it done. Or I get back at lunch and I go for a run um, as, a, as if I didn't hike enough during the day. So I just go for a run around the, the neighborhood. But And they're like, Brandon, would you relax? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Are you in a competition or You're something? You're like but, Forrest Gump. But I'm in a, perpetual motion. And I hate running. Like, I don't even like running, but it like... The feeling it gives you after running is just amazing. Like I feel so good after I run that, that I guess it's that accomplishment and just the endorphins and the feeling you have after you run is just amazing. So I, I crave it. You don't know. I hate running. Like I just, I hate running. Like I'll be sitting there on the couch and I'm like, I didn't run this morning. And right before dinner, I'm like, we ordered dinner or something from Uber Eats. I'm like, I got like 30 minutes before it gets here. I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go run. run. I'm going to go run a couple miles really quick before dinner gets here. <laughs> Just because I felt like, like my body's telling me, oh, let's go run. Like, And it only two and a half miles should take you 20 or 25 minutes. That's yeah, it. So, yeah. So it's like, it's funny. I started running in January and I, I ran two and a half miles. My average, my average mile was like 12 minutes and 42 seconds. Okay. I just ran the other day and my average mile was eight minutes and 50 seconds. That's awesome. So, um, and I, I was at a point where I'm like, man, am I going to get faster? Like how do these people run six minute miles? And I just realized like, 
probably never going to run a six minute. Maybe I can run one six minute mile, but yeah. not consistent. Like there's no way, but, um, it's getting better the more consistent I am. So what, uh, as we wrap this up, what, uh, cause you're an awesome, whether you know it or not, you're a great leader and a great mentor to other people, whether they're older or younger. You talk about discipline, you talk about vision, you talk about clarity, and then you also talk about the rabbit holes, which we all deal with. What's one thing that you want to share with people that are either thinking about your business or thinking about getting into business or following their dreams? I think if you have ambition and dreams to do something, I think you should follow through with it. When I was younger, you know, we didn't have, I didn't have anything when I was younger, single mom of three boys probably shouldn't be where I'm at for sure. Didn't graduate high school. Uh, My older brother was like the first one in our family to graduate high school. I just, that seems like a simple thing to do, but I know it doesn't always (laughs) happen. I, I was too busy riding freestyle BMX and trying to be pro and all that stuff. And I was a local pro and all that, but I couldn't afford to get hurt because I always had a job and I always had to make sure I worked because I didn't have anything else. So it's just, I really believe it's not hard to accomplish your goals if you just put one foot in front of the other one and and do it. Like I said, I come from a tough, tough life, got married young, had kids young, got divorced when I lived in San Diego, moved back to Arizona, just working for someone doing everything I would do for myself if I worked for myself for another company, but wasn't getting treated the way I should. And that's why we treat our employees different because I always side with the installers because I've always been an installer. So, and I just, you know, I definitely believe people should chase their goals no matter how big they are. And you just got to try it because you never know how it's going to work. You can fail over and over and over, but if you're not failing, you're not trying. So, and like I said, I come, come from the bottom. I mean, there was a point in my life where I didn't want to be here anymore. Right. It was literally probably a year before I opened up my own company is I couldn't see my kids because I was fighting with my ex-wife and I was working on a job in Tucson. So I had to travel out there, you know, for the week. And I remember driving back and just getting in an argument and not being able to, my kids started school. We got divorced before my kids started school and then my kids started school. So the whole court order was out the door because I couldn't get them when I was supposed to get them and she was holding them from me. And it was just a, it was a struggle. I was living with my mom. I'm like, man, like, what am I doing wrong? I can't afford anything. I'm paying half my net check goes to child support and spousal support. Like, how am I supposed to live? At least you were paying it. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I guess my biggest drive was, you know, I wanted to end it right there and just didn't want to do it anymore. And, but I thought about my young kids and I was like, you know what? Like I couldn't write them a letter because I didn't trust anyone to give it to them. <laughs> so who, who's going to, who's going to tell my kids my story. And right there was like, that was it. Like that was a light bulb is I'm going to, I'm just going to go after my dreams and do what I want. And I started from there on, like a year later, I opened my company and just never looked back, but it was, you know, fighting for what, what did I want? And, you know, I wanted to prove people wrong. So, and you know, I don't know if you know who David Goggins is, but he always talks about going in the cookie jar of all the bad memories and driving. And that, that's one of the things is like, 
David no. Goggins, the, the former Marine. Former Navy SEAL. Yeah, yeah runs 100 miles. Yeah, crazy. I, yeah. I know who he is. So going in the cookie jar, and like that's one of my things is like, you know, I never, I was an EMT at one point. I quit, quit glazing, quit doing glass, and uh, went to school and became an EMT, and was, I got a job working on an ambulance to, as a prerequisite to be a paramedic, to be a firefighter in San Diego. And then it just wasn't cut out for me there. I couldn't take the pay cut. I had another, I had a kid and another kid on the way. And I remember my, my ex-wife telling me that it was embarrassing that her husband was a construction worker because I wasn't going to be a firefighter. And like to that day, that still motivates me because I'm like, you know, now it's like, look where I'm at now compared, like, I could have been a firefighter, but you know, I'm not now I'm, I'm in a better place than, than that. So little things like that motivate me just of my past and, um, kind of, like I said, I shouldn't be here. So it kind of keeps me going every day cause I know I don't deserve it. So I just keep working harder every day. Okay. So we're going to do another podcast cause <laughs> dude, we got to wrap this up, but that was awesome. Um, you are clearly, you don't buy into the victim mentality of why is everything against me and you've been through it. Right. Uh, and I get, yeah, I got some other things I'll, I'd love to chat with you about. Anyway, um, hey man, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That was great. Um, so until next time, I'm Ted Bainbridge and thanks for joining us on Friends of Build Magazine. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine podcasts.